0: okay welcome everybody this is episode two of f one therapist this is in response to Nick's rant about andretti and f1 denying that their entry into the championship um, this one's a bit of a loaded one for me um, frankly I think I don't know if I'm going mad or if this is a actually the opinion we should be having but i agree with with nick on this one so i'm going to try and not necessarily provide a rebuttal to anything in particular that nick said um i might correct one or two little things minor nitpicky things at the end but in general i think i'm going to try and add a little more clarity without the um how do we call it, without Nick's tendency to ramble about the uh, so-called glory days of F1. So, let's get right into it here. As we probably know, F1 has officially denied Andretti Motorsports the ability to join the grid starting in 2026. They claim that there are a number of reasons for this. One being, they do not believe that Andretti will be competitive. Two, they do not believe that Andretti will add value to F1. So let's start with the not adding value. They think that Not only will Andretti not add value to the grid, they believe that F1 will simply add value to Andretti. I call bullshit on that. Absolute fucking bullshit. Andretti is a massive team, they've been a massive talking point all year, and largely they've been met with optimism from everybody. I don't know of a single person, I haven't heard a single dissenting view about EndReady, except for team principals, team managers, the people with something to lose. And not. You can say that it's justified, they have something to lose, they're a business, it's going to impact their business. Sure. But we're always told that this is a competitive sport, and we want to see racing, and we want to see the people with true merit there. And who has more merit in being in F1 than one of the largest motorsports teams in the U.S. If you if you're not aware, look it up. Andretti is involved in just about every motorsport there currently is, from Sports Car Racing, Le Mans, NASCAR, Indy, Indy Lights, NXT, Extreme E, Formula E. They touch everything. They have partnerships with GM and Honda. In Indy, they've used both GM and Honda at some point. Dallara makes the chassis for Indy and I believe Formula E. I might be wrong there. Dallara is, for those that don't know, is a massive Italian race car manufacturer. They make the F2 chassis, they make F3, they make Super Formula, on and on and on and on. They supply Ferrari with parts for the F1 team. They supply Haas with those same Ferrari F1 parts. So, you're telling me that the team that has... Motorsports experience dating back to Mario Andretti winning an F1 World Championship is backed by some of the biggest sponsors available in DHL and HP and on and on and on, multi-billion dollar companies, that they won't bring value to F1? Bullshit. Absolute bullshit. Another thing, and... I don't believe this is official in any way, but they did hire Jamie Chadwick to drive Indy NXT. Jamie Chadwick won all three seasons of W Series, the ill-fated women's-only racing series. Not only did she win all three, she basically ran away with the whole thing from the beginning. My theory is that why Andretti hired her is in part because they were expecting to get into F one. And being able to have a female racer in their stable to put in there could have been used as a potential bargaining chip. Right. So we have a highly skilled F one t- or we have a highly skilled motorsports team with connections to everybody that they need to have connections to. They have the American market already cornered. They have American drivers that they can pull from who have already been testing in in, um, Colton Herta. I believe he's not far off from getting a, a super license. They have Jamie Chadwick, who is... A known entity in F1. She's part of the Williams Drivers Academy. She's, like I said, won W Series. She's competing in Indy. She is a well rounded racer with ties to F1. But Andretti won't add value to F1 at all. Next is they won't be competitive. How do we know that? How do we know that Andretti will will not be competitive? Who has any data to suggest that Andretti's chassis will not be competitive? If anything, they won't be competitive because they're planning to use Renault engines—or sorry, they were planning to use Renault engines. Andretti is so confident in this proposal that they've gone out and built a car. I—I'm not entirely sure how how far along the process they are in building the car, but they're not waiting for F1 to allow them to come in. They've gone out and built the car or are building the car so that they can get the experience. All right, and they knew that coming in in 2024 wasn't an option, coming in in 2025 wasn't an option. So come in on a regulation change, where everybody's had to take a step back and start with an unknown element. Power units are changing. Chassis regulations will will undoubtedly change as well. So, how do we know that they will not be competitive? Look what happened in 2022. We all thought Mercedes would come in and run away with it and we'd have a a massive battle on our hands between Red Bull and Mercedes and we didn't get that Mercedes fell flat on their face a regulation change screwed with the powerhouse F1 team for the last decade basically but no they won't be competitive we know that just by looking at our crystal ball they will not be competitive Okay, yeah I don't buy that at all. If this is a matter of assuming that all teams have a period where they have to come to grips with F1 the F1 circus and everything in that's involved with it, that's not an Andretti problem. That's an F1 problem, and we should just say it's 10 teams, closed, done, no more entries. If you want to be a new team in F1, find the guy that's struggling and buy that team. Because why bother? Why would you bother entering if you're not willing to be uncompetitive for a period of time? You know, I don't want to be like Nick and jump back to these antiquated times in F1, but... Eddie Jordan said it took him five years before Jordan Grand Prix was up and running properly as a competitive team. Arguably, they were not very competitive, but it took them five years to even get to that. I The Andrettis aren't stupid. They know they're not going to come out to the first race in 2026 and be com- Uh, title champions or title championship contenders no i guarantee you they expect to be on the back foot for the first year two years three years whatever it is but remember they're already building a car why are they building a car this early if they plan to get into 2026 it takes all the other year teams less than a year to build a new car They're building the car so that they can start testing. They can start doing everything that they can before they're an F1 entity so that they can come into F1 and not be on the back foot. Yeah, sure, there are rules and regulations that say they can't do certain things when it comes to testing the cars. But again, they have years. They were planning to have years to develop and get to, get to grips with the team, get to grips with the powertrains, get to grips with the chassis before making a proper 2026 contender. How is that a team that is not going to be competitive? What did Haas do? Haas said, I'm going to start a team. I'm going to hire a bunch of people. I'm going to buy a bunch of parts from Ferrari through Dallara. I'm going to buy a Ferrari engine, Ferrari gearbox, Ferrari suspension components. I'm going to slap together a car and I'm going to go racing on nothing. And you know what? They were competitive. Because those Ferrari parts were a good building block. Ferrari was competitive, therefore Haas was competitive. Andretti's attempting to do that. They're going to buy whatever they can, and they'll make whatever they can't. I don't know who they're planning on buying from or what the the conditions are there, but that was what the initial proposal was. Not to the extent that Haas was. They were planning to be a much more involved entity than Haas in the early days. So how do we know that they're not going to be competitive? Arguably, Haas was competitive early on. So we should assume that the days of no-name teams coming in just because they have a billion billionaire owner and one of them making an F1 team just for shits and giggles and to stroke his own ego are over. This is a team that has a legitimate facility to build and develop race cars, not just in NASCAR, not just in Indy, but in Every other major racing series there is, and that includes series that are sanctioned by the FIA like there is nothing to say that they cannot get this right so if they want to spend four years at the bottom with no with no success, I guarantee you the Andrettis have looked at that, and realized that that is an option, and they've decided to take that risk, All right? In reality, what they're saying is that they don't want the challenge of having to compete with somebody new. They want somebody to come in and bail out a team like Haas or Williams or Sauber, and have to deal with the infrastructure around those teams which will bog them down and keep them at the back anyway. So this uncompetitive comment is just absolutely ridiculous to me. The third thing that they've said is an 11th team will put unnecessary burden on the race promoters and strain resources at the tracks. Bullshit. There was a time when F1 had 34 cars on the grid. And that was in 1953. And the tracks we race on were not around in 1953, at least not in the uh, configurations they are now. But it wasn't that long ago that we had 22 car grids. 2015, we had 22 cars on the grid. And the race tracks are largely the same tracks. Sure we've added a couple of street courses but even at those street courses there are support races with more than 22 cars and frankly if F1 commissioned these tracks with the intent of having only 20 cars then see my previous comment of telling everybody that fine we're going to limit it to 10 teams no more no less If you want in, buy a team that exists. They didn't do that. They've opened it up to allow for 11 teams, potentially 12 at one point. So, the infrastructure is there. The majority of the tracks that we race on can support 22 cars. And if the promoters don't like it, too bad. That track doesn't get the race. That should not be an excuse to say we can't let a team like Andretti in because Las Vegas can't accommodate 22. Or Baku can't accommodate 22 cars. No. If you can't accommodate the full grid, you shouldn't be there. And if the full grid expands, you should be able to accommodate it. And I'm doing now what I've told Nick not to do and use you and making the, the listener think that I'm talking about you and blaming you for the results of the F1 circus, which isn't the case. So, let's try and switch back now. The race promoters, I guarantee you, it's not a problem. And again, if they don't like it, we don't have to race there. So, how did this come about? Alright, so the F1 is a giant mess of corporations that were all kind of started by the same people and interwoven and manipulated all to line their own pockets. It is an old boys club. So as it stands today, we have the FIA, which is the sanctioning body for automotive motorsports based in France. They're not the only one, obviously, but that's the one that sanctions F1. They control sporting regulations, um, technical regulations, making sure that cars are safe, driver standards are up to standards, tracks are safe. That's all in place. Fine. F1, which is... FOM, Formula One Management, is the commercial rights holder. And that only exists because Bernie Ecclestone wrestled that away from the FIA. And when I say wrestled, he really didn't do much. He basically came up with a deal that would make the FIA and F1 management more money. So he leased it for some ridiculous length of time I think it was 99 years for peanuts basically and promised the FIA a share now after that it was broken down further into F1 management which is the corporate entity that runs Formula 1 as well as the constructors so the constructors have their own group that it is responsible for certain things and that's basically managing how what their negotiating power is essentially with Formula One management. Teams like Ferrari who have been there since the beginning, they want to be treated special. They're absolutely useless these days, but they want to be treated special because of their time in the series and what they've done to make sure that F1 stays a true race a form of racing. So they get a massive slice of the pie. And then it goes on to the bigger teams, the teams with more influence, they all have their, their say. And this is all governed, the relationship between the three entities, is governed by the Concord Agreements. You may have heard of that. The Concord Agreements are just a contract that states these are the rules, this is what can and can't happen, this is how prize money is distributed, on and on and on. So in the last Concord Agreement, which was signed in 2021, and was only signed in 2021 after Liberty made some concessions because teams like Red Bull and Mercedes were pissed off that uh, there was a potential that new teams could come in and dilute their prize money. One of these concessions is a $200 million anti-dilution fee. So effectively what that is, is if you have a new team come in as an 11th team, they would need to pay up front before ever touching the grid $200 million. And that $200 million is effectively what they believed a new team would pull from the potential prize money. So the idea was you put $200 million in, all the teams that are on the grid are basically guaranteed to get what they would have without that team in place. Because previously in prior Concord agreements, if you were to join as a new team to F1 you wouldn't get prize money, period, your first year if you came out the gates and you won the Constructors Championship your first year you would get zero prize money because you were a new team in its infancy the new Concord Agreement removed that as a way to try and motivate people to join but then they slapped this $200 million anti-dilution fee on it so when Andretti first decided that they wanted to join, everybody said, "Oh, well, you got to pay the fee. Good luck with that." And Andretti didn't blink an eye. They they provided that money. Then they came back and said, "Well, hold hold on, hold on. We don't believe that that two hundred million is correct anymore. You know, we've seen some movement." since Liberty bought us out, and we believe the number is $700 million now. So basically what they've done is move the goalpost to say that number, which applies to the current Concord Agreement, but if you're going to join in 2026, we're going to be a bigger entity then. And we know this because the Saudis offered us $20 billion for F1's commercial rights. Nobody seems to care that that's an absolutely asinine offer for F1. And it was simply a a Hail Mary, let's throw a bunch of cash at this thing and see what happens offer. It's not actually worth $20 billion. Luckily, it didn't sell for that. But that didn't stop it. Because you had investment firms or investment groups come in and buy portions of teams for insane amounts of money. Alpine, for example, sold 24% of the team to an investment firm that had an investment group that had Ryan Reynolds, McElhinney, a couple other sports people involved for $200 million. 24% for $200 million. So, that makes Alpine worth more than originally thought. The same with Aston Martin later last year. A company called Artcos bought a minority stake in Aston Martin for a percentage of the company. The amount wasn't disclosed but what we were told is that the valuation based on the percentage purchased and the amount paid values Aston Martin at $1.2 billion US. So, this is what they use now to justify telling Andretti we want $700 up front. Which is, to me, absolutely ridiculous. But that's what they've decided. And you know what? Andretti came back and said, that's fine. We'll go find that money. And not only did they come back with the money, they came back with a massive sponsorship and endorsement deal with General Motors. Originally, it was just that. An endorsement and sponsorship deal. But then they changed, they moved the goalpost again and said, you know what? We would really like it if you brought an engine manufacturer with you. So off Andretti goes again. Goes back to talk to GM. And GM decides, you know what? That's not a bad idea. Let's do that. 2028, we can be there. We're gonna brand it as Cadillac, because Cadillac does our Le Mans racing, and you know it's a hybrid system. It goes well with what we're doing with Cadillac. We're gonna go for it. So 700 million on the table. Engine manufacturer, a global headquarters currently in development to localize all racing in one building, a truly American F1 team, building cars in the U.S., but they don't add value, and they're going to be uncompetitive. This is not about... This is is not about being uncompetitive. This is not about anything other than F1 wanting to protect itself and stay this you know, nice, neat little old boys club where they can just do what they're doing and not have to worry about disruptors while they take money from the Saudis and any other organization that uh, wants to try and clean themselves through F1. So, anyway, Nick and I are on the same page on this one. It's... Absolutely ridiculous what F1 has done to Andretti. And I really do hope the conversations that they're claiming to want to have with Andretti go forward. And they can come to some sort of agreement. Um, Frankly, I think telling them come back in 2028 when GM's built an engine is absolutely fucking ridiculous. What does GM have to gain by investing all that money in an engine for 2028... With nobody around to provide input to it. Jim's not going to partner with one of the current teams on the grid. They don't have a relationship with anybody on the grid at the moment. They're happy in Le Mans. If Andretti is on the grid, they have feedback. They have data. They have chassis to design around. They have test rigs to run these things on with real-time data. Without that, you're guaranteeing they're going to be uncompetitive. GM will run an engine in a lab on a dyno and go, okay, yeah, it performs. Great. But the first time it gets in a car is preseason testing or the 200 kilometer test session on a photo day before preseason testing in 2028? No. That's how you kill a team. Let Andretti come in 2026 let them work with GM for two years on that project and let them surprise you with what happens in 2028 Uh, this is absolutely ridiculous anyway I think that is it for my Andretti rant or let's let's not call it an Andretti rant because I I think they'd be good for the sport let's call it an anti-F1 nonsense rant Hopefully you don't get much, many of these from me. Yeah. I'm supposed to be Nick's uh, so-called therapist, helping him talk himself down from his rants, and here I am, leaning into them. Yeah, but maybe uh, the old saying might be true, that therapists only do what they do to figure out their own nonsense. Hm. That, and then again, I am not a therapist in any way. Okay, so on a... Uh, Separate topic, I do want to address something Nick said that was incorrect. Um, He went off on a pretty big tangent about Renault and how shitty Renault is and their engines are garbage. And I think there's some merit in that, but let's go through and see. He made a comment about um, championships that they've won and teams that have used Renault engines and not gone anywhere. So, for example, we have Renault. Obviously, they've been on the grid for quite a while in different entities through that time. But the um, the first time Renault engines were used is 1983 to 1986 with Lotus, and then we have Ligier. From 84 to 86 and 92 to 94. Tyrrell 85 to 86. Williams is 89 to 97 and 2012 to 2013. Benetton, 95 to 97 and 2001. Red Bull, 2007 to 2015. Although they were badged as... Renault, they were badged as Infinity, they were badged as Tag and Aston Martin and everything under the sun because that relationship went to hell over the inherent unreliability of the Renault engine. Then again in 2011, Lotus is back, continuing on in the second iteration of Lotus from 2012 to 2014. Cataram, 2012 to 2014. That was really a joke of a team. You want to talk about a useless entity, another billionaire who decided to bring back an old British race car name, and all they really did was purchase the 2012 Lotus chassis and engine and everything else that they legally could at the time, and then fall flat on their face. Go bankrupt and have their cars impounded during a race. Anyway, I digress. Toro Rosso 2014 to 2015 before moving to Honda, McLaren 2018 to 2020, and then of course now Alpine, which is just Renault. So, out of those, the only ones here that were really worth anything was I think one year worth of Lotus in the 2012 to 2014 range where they won a couple of races. Then you have Red Bull, who won championships with those motors. Good for them. Benetton, I believe that's during the Michael Schumacher era. And Williams, won 64 Grand Prix with Renault engines. So they have had success as an engine supplier. Um, but definitely... If we're talking about teams that could benefit from, let's say, new owners, a name change and a shake-up in how they do things, Renault probably makes that list. Nick did mention that he thought Marussia and Manor ran Renault engines. They did not. Both those teams ran Mercedes engines, um, which, of course, led to a lot of radio banter from Jensen Button in a few races, giving those drivers shit for not moving under blue flags because they were quick on the straights but nowhere else while he was stuck in a Honda that had absolutely no power. But, yeah. So, thank you for putting up with that Andretti rant and listening to me ramble on about Renault engines and teams and dates that some of you may not be aware of. But uh, I think this was therapeutic both for myself and, uh, and for Nick. And hopefully, hopefully before you listen to this one, you'll have listened to the chat that Nick and I did together on the driver market. And we'll be doing a few more coming up on uh, leading up to preseason and the season itself. And then hopefully during the season, we'll have regular episodes for you. So thank you for listening. Let us know what you think. Nick will make sure you understand that it's for him, not for you. So take that as you will. Thank you. Bye.